journey into the Bible and explore its hidden text and rich wisdom. Join Adol Kazilski Mondays at 1 p.m. for the trip of a lifetime. <coughs> well, right now I think that we're all tripping out of pace. I hope everybody had a beautiful hug. I certainly did. There was a lot of cooking. Um, but other than all the cooking and all the eating, I think we eat far more on Pesach than we eat during the year. We're back now, as usual, between 1 and 2 on a Monday, learning Chumash, and I am so glad that you are joining me. If you have at any point in time any questions or comments on what we are learning, please don't forget that you can communicate by 34519 being our SMS line, or 061-895-1019 being the telegram number. And we are actually still, um, in terms of learning, we are only beginning, beginning to understand what the Exodus is all about and what it is that, uh, that transpired there in Egypt. But as always, we know that Torah is timeless and that when we learn Torah, what we are doing is we are actually getting instruction for life. So if you are around, make yourself a cup of coffee, sit back, pull out a, a Bible. We are in chapter three of Exodus, of the book of Exodus. We're in the Pasha of Shmot. And we're going to be starting verse 13, where we left off before Pesach was the fact that Moshe Rabbeinu was intrigued by a burning bush that really, in truth, did not burn. And so, in his interest being piqued, he walked up to it, where he eventually landed up finding out that there was, in fact, a revelation of godliness there, and that God was speaking to him through this burning bush. A lot of fascinating things about how it wasn't burning, what type of fire. If you're interested in any of that or you've missed any of that, you can always go back um, to a podcast and you can, on the highfm.com website or on the app, and you can listen to the details. But now we're at the point where God is telling Moses, you know, I want you to go down and I want you to get my people out of there. I've heard their cries. I've heard their bitterness. I know how terrible Egypt is. I'm ready to redeem them and fulfill my promise to them. And um, you, Moshe, are the messenger. You are going to be the guy that I have chosen to take to take the Jews out. And, of course, with every single human being, and particularly when it comes to such a hard thing, Moses is giving God a particularly hard time. He did not believe that he was the guy um, for a number of reasons, which, again, we've spoken about, um, and um, you can listen in a previous podcast. But uh, just as a preface, in, in verse 11, he says, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh? and that I should bring the children of Israel out of Egypt. And God says, because I am going to be with you, and that will be your, this will be your sign, because where you're standing right now is where they are going to be receiving the Ten Commandments, and that is the entire purpose of taking them out of Egypt. So Moses is now going to continue his argument in good Jewish style. This is verse 13. We're going to look inside the Hebrew. Vayome Moshe El HaElokim. God, Moshe says to God, Hine Anochi by El Bnei Israel. Okay, fine. I'm going to come to the children of Israel. Vaamati Lahem. And I'm going to say to them, Elokei Avotechem Shalachani. 
that the God of your forefathers, okay, the God of your fathers has sent me, the Amruli, and they're going to say, Mashamoy, and they're going to say, who? What's his name? Who sent you? Ma Omar Alehim. What am I going to say to them? Okay. So basically, Moshe was saying, look, you, you're making this, you're making this out of it's going to be, it's like just so easy. I'm just going to say, hi, I'm here. God sent you to take me out of Egypt and everyone's going to believe me. The Jews are not going to believe me because when I'm going to say the God of your fathers has sent me, they're going to say, who? Tell us who, who, who really sent you? Give, give me some proof. So what Moshe was really asking over here was something very, very important. And this was because the Jews in Egypt had had passed down through tradition that one day they will be redeemed and that somebody will come and redeem them. And they will, um, there will be certain signs that they will know. And one of, of the signs is, is that the elders of the Jewish people knew God's, what we call in Hebrew, Shem HaMephorash, which we translate in English as God's explicit name. Now, this is the name of God that we do not pronounce. Now, when we are talking about God, just to take a few steps back for us to understand and the very limited understanding that I have, but I will share with you. God is concealed in this world, and it's not something that we can see, hear, smell, taste, feel, right? We, 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 we don't see it explicitly. God is concealed in this world, and Hasidus, the Kabbalah, comes to teach us that in order to create a world that has an existence, so to speak, of its own, and that has its own will and is able to have free choice, God concealed himself in the various aspects of this world, and it is our job to be intuitive enough and to spend enough time thinking about it and applying our minds to understanding that there can be no other force than God in this world. This world is not random, according to Judaism. This world isn't something that a being created and then left to their own, to, to, to our own doing. Torah and particularly Hasidus and Kabbalah emphasize that God is intimately, intimate, intimate, oh, let me get that again. He is intimately involved in this world in every aspect and in everything all the time, all the time, which means that if we could put on God colored glasses, Imagine we could put on glasses that would open our mind. We would be able to see godliness in everything. Godliness in the table that we look at. Godliness in the cup of tea that we're drinking. Godliness in the, in the world around us. Godliness in every single person. Because without the presence of God in absolutely anything and everything in this world, that entity, that thing, that idea, anything that you can think of would not exist. Because God is vivifying it all the time. So I want to make that as a basis for now. Um, this is going to be quite a, a philosophical discussion. Would love you to join 34519 or 061-895-1019.
But for now, we are going to go for a little bit of a break. Hi FM, your station of choice since 2008. Right, so let's continue our philosophical discussion and let us get to understand um, more about what Moses was in fact asking the, 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 of God. So if we understand that God is concealed in this world, insofar as we cannot see him or taste him or feel him um, outwardly, the bottom line is, is that God is found in absolutely everything that exists. And what we need to understand is that that God manifests himself in this world through various channels. There are channels of, of mercy. There are channels of justice. There are all sorts of channels through which God will make his presence felt in this world, albeit through the physical world. And there's also uh, in Kabbalah an entire um, vast description of God in the various manners in which he manifests in this world, and that is in the names by which we call God. In English, God is God, okay? We might say the Almighty, um, or the Holy One, blessed be he. Um, generally, we, we will just say, you know, uh, talk about God. In Judaism, what you will see is that there are, in fact, many, many names of God. Some of them we pronounce. For example, the the, the, the word Elohim. And I'm not pronouncing it completely. I'm putting a kuf in the hay because um, one should have respect for God's name and not use it in a, a disrespectful manner. Now, when we see the God, uh, God being called Elohim, we are told in Kabbalah that most of that is always when God is either in a um, mode of justice or of strictness and also that that is when God is um, concealed in nature. Now, when one starts playing around with gematria, which is the numerical value of the, the Hebrew letters, you will see that Elohim, okay, is, um, is the same gematria as the word hateva, which means nature. So we can understand when God functions in a way of Elohim, he is working through nature, and therefore what we will, what we will see is in fact that, um, we don't perceive God outwardly. Now, God works in Elohim the majority of the time, because the sun comes up, the sun goes down, we are all working and functioning, and so God is functioning in the in, in as Elohim in that He is conceals to us, but He's very much there in everything He does. When we start using a different name of God, and the other famous one is made up of four letters: the Yud and the Hey and the Vav and the Hey, and you can see that I'm using purposefully the word and because I don't want to again. Um, pronounce God's name When we look at that name We are looking at God Through the attribute of mercy And the um, the God That is going to reveal himself But God doesn't just have two names Elohim and the Yudke Vavke Which we will pronounce as Hashem 
Hashem really means the name because we're not pronouncing the Yud and the He and the Vav and the He. In fact, it's, it's actually very hard to pronounce. But there are many, many other names that God is known by. And as I said before, whichever name is attributed to him is the manner in which God will be um, appearing or manifesting, rather, is a better word, manifesting um, in this, in, in, in this, uh, in, in, in this, uh, in, in this world. So now, Moses is saying to God, okay, Moses is saying to God, how am I going to prove to the, the children of Israel who you are? They're going to say, what is your name? And the reason they're saying that is because they were told and passed down in tradition. They were told what is called the Shem Hamifurash, the explicit name of God. Okay. And it was known in tradition that if somebody comes and says, listen, God is going to take you out. You're going to say, what is the name of God? That, that Moses will give them the Shem Hamifurash, this, 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 um, Exalted name, this explicit name, and they will understand, they will know that, that he was the real McCoy. Now, there was a few reasons Moses was asking. Number one, that he should have that to give to the Jewish children, to Jewish people, but he also wanted God to explain to him what this explicit name was all about. He wanted to understand it fully. And we are told in the Midrash, that at this point in time, when he asked this question, Moses was explained the full mystery behind the explicit name. And on high, when the angels heard that they, that that was the name that, that, that was, was, was being explained, they made a blessing. They went, Baruch Atah Hashem, Chonen Hadat. Blessed are you, God, who grants knowledge. So, Moses himself gets to understand it, and now he's able to go and tell the Jewish people, I know the Shem HaMefarash, I know the explicit name of God, and I am, I, I, I can teach it, I can teach it to you. Also, one of the other reasons why he asked for God's name as proof of his mission is because he wanted to know is God going to take them out of Egypt supernaturally or is God going to take them out of Egypt um, in a conventional way. Now, how do we know the difference between the two? Well, it's very well known that we always draw an analogy between the coming out of Egypt and the story of Purim. Now, the coming out of Egypt was supernatural. The ten plagues were completely supernatural. Um, there was, there was, there was all sorts of things that happened that you, you actually had to sit back and say, this was the hand of God, or this is, this, you know, this is something extraordinary. And God did do that. God went and, and acted in a supernatural manner above nature. We know in the story of Purim, the Megillah, God's name is not mentioned once. Now, if God's name is not mentioned once, it meant that the story of Purim ran its natural course. And it just seemed, and I'm putting it in inverted commas, seemed, okay, that 
God wasn't involved. It just happened that Esther was uh, likened by Achashverosh and brought into the palace. It just seemed that it happened that Mordechai heard about a conspiracy to kill Achashverosh and he saved Achashverosh's um, head. All of these things are seemingly things that happened by itself. But we are told that, in fact, Purim was a greater miracle than Egypt. Why? Because God didn't have to reveal himself outwardly. He just ran the normal course of things and he, he, he manipulated everything that, to the outcome that it, that, 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 that it was. So here Moshe was asking him, are you going to be taking these Jews out supernaturally or are you going to be taking them out naturally? And it was from God explaining his name that Moshe understood that this was going to be a massive event where nature is actually in effect, in effect going to be turned upside down. Now, one of the um, other explanations given is then what God goes and says to him, because when he says, what is your name? So that I may say to them, God replies in verse 14, Vayomer Elohim el Moshe, I will be who I will be. Okay? Um, that's the name that you have to give to the Jewish people. I will be who I will be. By Yomer, and you should say, You will say to the Jewish people, I will be sent me to you. So here you can see is the name of God, and that is the God, that is the way God is going to manifest himself to the Jewish people. Um, and when Moses will say that to them, they will, um, they will, uh, what you call it, they, they will recognize who it is. So now we need to understand a nuance over here. And if you're following in, you can actually go and see. It says, God says to Moshe, in response to what is my name, that's my name. I will be who I will be. And then in the second breath, God says, this is what you'll say to B'nai Israel. You're going to say, sent me. Well, why are you telling Moshe, is my name? And then when he has to go to Egypt, he must say, just, why not? So the the Midrash comes to tell us, Mamloes comes to tell us that, in fact, there were two conversations happening here. The first was a conversation between Hashem and Moshe. You want to know my name that I am going to use? You want to know the way I'm going to manifest myself um, in, in Egypt? It's Asher What does that mean? um really means that I am God who is going to manifest myself in the world showing the Jewish people that in fact I am ready to listen whenever they cry out to me and I am here to save them. That the type of manifestation of this name of God. means that I will be with them in the land of 
um, in the land of Egypt now, and I'm going to help them and take them out. I share but the Jews should also know that this isn't the last persecution that they'll find themselves in. They'll find themselves in other persecutions. I share I will be in those persecutions as well. So God was in essence giving Moshe prophecy. He was saying, I want to give you the message that in whatever difficult times the Jews find themselves in a state of persecution and find them like under the sword of the enemies, I hear them and I am with them and I will save them and I will do that through the manifestation of the name Eheyeh. So the first part again of the verse Eheyeh means I was with, the, I will be with the Jewish people now. Um, in Egypt, I share Eheyeh, but I also will be with the Jewish people in all the other persecutions. And we are told in the in the Midrash that God that Moshe then turns around and says to God, "Really, you want me to say the words Eheye? I share Eheye. Trouble is bad enough when it comes once. Why must I now tell a persecuted people about other persecutions that they will endure in the future? Like you know, it's like when somebody is really really sick." And you go and say, well, I'm going to cure you, but no, you're going to be sick with X, Y, Z and A, B, C afterwards. That really is not going to <laughs> to be very, very helpful, says Moshe to God. So God first says, this is who I am, in this present Egyptian exile, I'm going to be with them and I'm going to help them from that persecution and from the second one. Moses goes, not a good idea. Not from the second or the third or the fourth do we have to discuss right now. And that's why the second part of the verse goes, So speak to the children of Israel. Then say to him that just sent me. Just talk about God in this situation now. Not in every other one. Because that will be unbelievably difficult um, for them to tolerate, to know that once they've left Egypt, they're heading for other persecutions. Now, before we continue, I think it's important that um, we say the following, that we have endured many, many persecutions in our lives, um, Egypt obviously being the, the primal one, we've had the expulsion from Spain, we've had, we've had the Khmelniki uprisings, we've had the Holocaust, we've had so many and we're having them today. The terrorist attacks, the threat of Iran, all of these things, Jews have been persecuted their entire history. We need to understand though that this persecution, um, albeit a very, very painful one, God is with us every single time. And as somebody said, I think, over the holiday of Pesach, and it resonated a lot with me, yes, the Jews have been persecuted, but never have the Jews been abolished. Like, we've never disappeared. Truth be said, if we look at the slavery in Egypt, if we look at the Holocaust, if we look at the Spanish expulsion, if we look at anything that we have gone through, by natural means, we should have disappeared. But here we are a people. We're 
percent, not one tenth of 0.1 percent. I don't know something absolutely ridiculously small of the world population. There's maybe 15 million Jews in eight billion. Go work that out. We're like a tiny speck on this planet. And therefore, we can understand, for example, if we have a Holocaust that destroys six million, what hope do we have of, of ever surviving? But we Jews have always survived. And this comes back to Moshe's entire philosophical discussion with God and that which I am trying to convey today. That we have a promise from Abraham, Isaac and Jacob, primarily given to Abraham when he gave, when he gave Abraham Isaac, that the Jewish people will be eternal. It doesn't matter who it is, in what period of history, even right now in 2023, Mr. Iran and Mr. Hezbollah and Mr. Hamas and whoever they all are, they can scream and shout and say they're going to obliterate the Jewish people and this is the end of the Jewish people. We all have to say to them, been there, done that, you're getting the wrong T-shirts because we have the promise of God and God is with us in our persecution. So while we might suffer tremendously, yes, and while things might be unbelievably difficult, the very fact that we have with us means that God will land up allowing us to come out of Egypt Come out of our persecution. Come out of uh, out of uh, out of our troubles. And so I say today um, that whilst it is frightening to listen to what's going on in Iran, to hear that Scud missiles are falling from Gaza and Syria and Lebanon, whilst we are being persecuted and while we are in danger, nevertheless, let us understand and let us know that we will never ever disappear off the face of this earth. This is 101.9 High FM. High FM, 101.9 megahertz of life. Okay, so this is where um, God says, you tell them that I am I am there with, with, with them, wherever they are, and they are guaranteed, they are guaranteed survival. And then God goes on, and says something more. Vayomer, od Elokim. God says something more. El Moshe to Moshe. Kotomar al Bnei Israel also go say to the children of Israel. Hashem, Hashem Elokei Avotechem. God, the God of your forefathers. Elokei Abraham, Elokei Yitzhak, Elokei Yaakov. The gods of Abraham, Yitzhak, and Yaakov. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Shalachani Alechem have sent it to you. Zeshmi Leolam. This is my name forever. Veze Zichri Ledor Vador. And I, this is how I will be remembered forever. So what God was saying there, and we use this now, that whenever the Jewish people will recall before God the merit of Abraham, Yitzhak, and Yaakov, God will answer them in times of trouble because then God will deal with us, so to speak, in the attribute of mercy, in the Midat HaRachamim, because of the merit of our forefathers. And that's why we mention Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob all the time. We say it in our um, Amidah, the first blessing, Elokei Abraham, Elokei Yitzchak, Elokei Yaakov. Because as soon as we start mentioning 
Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, we, 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 so to speak, switch on God's attribute of mercy, and he will respond to us likewise. Now, let's look at the words, Zeshmi Le'olam. This is my name forever. Now, if you look, if you're looking in the text, you will see Le'olam um, is missing a vav. It's spelt Lamed Ein Lamed Mem, when in truth it should be spelt Lamed Ein Vav Lamed Mem. So, because it's missing, it's not because somebody made a spelling mistake or did something wrong, but uh, rather we could say, we can read the word Le'olam as Le'elem. And you know what Le'elem means? Le'elem means for concealment. Meaning that when you speak the name Yud, K, Vav, and K, you're using God's name to express the fact that he is in fact, as I've said in the beginning, concealed. So God is giving us the hint here. Like, don't think I'm not around. I'm around for everything. In fact, I control everything. In fact, I vivify everything. In fact, everything is in my control. But I am concealed to the human mind and in the, the, the human name. And so you've got to be very, very careful when we are calling on God that we actually can, number one, understand that we are speaking to an entity that is all-encompassing, that has given us life, that is breathing life into the blade of grass, that is doing all of these things, and albeit that it's concealed, God is actually revealed in absolutely everything. The second is, is that the concealment is such that we do not pronounce the tetragrammaton, which is the Yudke Vavke name. Now, just for those who want to be very pedantic, you will see sometimes the Yud K Vav K name with certain vowels, and then in other instances it will change the vowels. If the Yud He and the Vav He have a Shva and a comets, okay, that is when we read the word as Adoi, and I'll make a break, Nai. Okay, and that's how we normally read it. And that is when God is revealed to us in the attribute of mercy. If, however, you look under the Yud, Hey, Vav, and Hey, and there is a Segel, Anashva, and the Vav has a Chirik, we do not read it as Adoi, the full name as we know it. We read it as Elohim, because that is when God comes and shows himself up with the attribute of justice. Right, let's just finish a little bit more. Lech, go, says uh, God, the Asafe et Ziknei Yisrael, go to the elders of the Jewish people. Why? Because they're the ones that know this Shema Mepharash, this explicit name. And they will recognize when you say They will recognize when you talk about Yudke Vavke. They will recognize all of these names because they've been given that. And say to them, Hashem Elokei Avosechem Nere Eli, that the God of your fathers has appeared to me. Elokei Abraham, Yitzchak, the Yaakov, mention Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Lamor, and here was another code word. Pakod Pakadati Etchem, 
I have definitely kept you in mind. And I will, I will, um, I, I've seen what's been done to you in Mitzrayim. And say, I'm going to take you out from the poverty of Egypt. And I'm going to take you out from the poverty of Egypt and bring you to the land um, of, of the Canaanites, the Hivites, the Emorites, the Prizites, the Hivites, and the Busites to a land flowing with milk and honey. Now the words pakod pakadati etchem, okay, um, will be the sign that Moshe Rabbeinu was in fact the true redeemer. Because we know that Jacob, Yaakov, our forefather said, God will definitely keep you in mind. Pakod yifkod. He used those words. And also Yosef went and said, God will, will keep you in mind. Right? So when he says the words pakod pakadati, what is going to happen is in fact, that he is going to reiterate to the elders of Israel, besides knowing God's esoteric names, that I am the true redeemer. Because where will I have got all this information if I lived in the in the in the palace of Pharaoh all this time? The Shamu lekolecha. I'm just going to finish another two verses, and they will listen to you. Um, but then you and the elders are going to go to the, the, the king of Egypt and you're going to say to him that Hashem God the, the God of the Hebrews appeared to us and now we want to go three days by Midbar into the desert so that we can sacrifice to our God says God, I know. He will not give you permission to go. Um, and he will not, with a, even with a strong hand. But I will send my hand. I will hit them. I will smite the Egyptians with all my wonders. I share say that I will do. Bekir boy. In their midst, then they will send you. So you can see over here that God is already telling him, I control everything. And I'm telling you now that Pharaoh is not going to let you go. Why? Because I am going to harden his heart. I will make him stubborn and he is going to be subject to evil plagues because they need to get a retribution for all the negative that they have done in the past. And you can see here, God says, um, that I will um, not let, let let him go, not with a strong hand, he says. He says over here again, I'm looking for it, um, not with one strong hand, and I'll have to send my hand. So one hand plus one hand makes ten fingers. Ten fingers means that God, this is where he's telling Moses that he is going to send ten Plagues. This is 101.9 High FM. High FM, 101.9 megahertz of life. And finally, one more thing, which I don't, I don't, I didn't really wrap my mind around until recently, and that was why did God tell Moshe to tell Pharaoh that we just want to go for three days so that we could serve God? That was the narrative all the time. We had absolutely no intention of coming back to Egypt, 
God had no intention of allowing us to go back to Egypt. And hell, if you're leaving hell, you don't want to go back to Egypt. So why not just tell Pharaoh the truth? Listen, the God of Israel says, let my people go, um, and we're going forever. And the, the reason given is that um, they were only pushing for, so to speak, a three-day pilgrimage to Mount Sinai, okay? Because if they went and said, no, we're going and we're not coming back, that was, would, wouldn't have even been a beginning of a negotiation. They were just trying to negotiate, let us just get out of here. Okay, and, and, and we know that that's the truth because even after the tenth plague, even after the death of the tenth, the, the, the firstborn, even after Pharaoh himself suffered so badly, okay, they were out there seven days and he was chasing them again. So there was no way that there could have been any room for negotiation to say, let us go completely. We're not coming back. That's why they were trying to always negotiate a three day furlough, so to speak, even though in truth, that wasn't the truth. So that was just something that we should keep in mind. So just as a summary, God is with us in everything we do, all the time, in everything we see, in everything that happens everywhere for everybody, Jew and Gentile, the entire planet. He's concealed, and it is our job to go find him and to know that God is always with us. Keep those thoughts in mind, and I'll be back same time, same place. Next week, as we continue this incredible story of the coming out of Egypt, this is 101.9 High FM.